My guest today is a former track and field Big Ten champion and NCAA national qualifier. After being a high-performing champion and athlete for many years, she decided it was time to take her talents to the world of sales. Now she's a top account executive at Sports Digita, enabling sales and marketing teams to be much more consistent, productive, and effective when it comes to all things sales. You can find her on LinkedIn preaching the good word about the importance of mindset, manifestation, and productivity in sales. Introducing Anna Wygant. Anna, welcome to the show. Hi, Tambir. Wow. I don't think I could do an intro better than that myself. Truthfully, I'm going to bring you around and hype, have you hype me up whenever I get intro. Oh, I'm the best hype man. I, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, <laughs> so, so happy to take along for the ride. But Anna, it's, it's a pleasure having you on. You know, I've been, I've been a huge fan for, for a while now. And I wanted to start by highlighting your athletic background and experience because we make I make a lot of analogies with sales and sports. Um, you know, I talk about sales like as if being an athlete, that's that's what I think it's like. You know, we have to manage our days like that and sort of manage our mindset like that. But I wanted to hear it from, you know, an athlete yourself, uh, being an athlete yourself and big former Big Ten champion. So um, I know you had this sort of journey to getting to Big Ten. And I wanted to talk about that and understand what your story was to, to get there. So um, yeah. we can start there and, and then explore, you know, other themes throughout. Yeah, that works great. Yeah, my journey, it was a doozy. Um, it was certainly not what I had envisioned for myself, right? But in some capacity, I did, but it never goes exactly as planned. And when you always look back on that journey, you're like, wow, you know what? I needed that to happen like that because it's teaching me the things that I'm embodying and, and, and using today. So a little bit of backstory on me. I fell into the world of track and field in middle school, like anyone would. And I just took a natural ability to the triple jump. It's a really, really weird thing to be good at, but I'll take it. <laughs> so I kind of took that and ran with it and um, ended up being one of the best jumpers, not only in middle school, but in the state. And then went from there, just, you know, consistently progressed throughout my high school career. And mm -hmm. I truthfully did not lose often. I was not used to losing. It was something that I just knew that I was going to go out. And even if I competed poorly, I would win. So that sounds like so ideal to people. And, and at the time it was great. Right. But that made it. So when there were times that I did lose, which did happen, I was for lack of a better term, I was a little brat. I would fall <laughs> my eyes out. I would cry. My parents would be like, what's wrong with you? Like relax. So thankfully, like it was only pressure I was putting on myself. My parents were always so supportive of me. They were always never like stressed, stressing me out, I guess, with expectations, which, which I'm so unbelievably grateful for. Cause I know that's not the case for a lot of people. So I guess in my mind, being one of the um, best jumpers in the state of Nebraska, I was a state champion twice. I had the state record for a little bit there. And in my mind, my dream school was University of Nebraska-Lincoln, which is um, here, home where I'm from, which is Lincoln, Nebraska. And I had it in my mind from a freshman that I was going to be the best jumper and I was going to get a full ride scholarship to University of Nebraska. And I was going to jump for one of the best track programs in the nation and all was going well. I went on my recruiting visit and they were like, we would love to have you, but we're going to offer you no money. And my ego took a extreme hit. I was devastated for lack of a better term, because I, I did have other scholarships in other places. Like I could have went wherever and gotten money. But I always come back to this is like, I just had this belief though, and this desire and this dream to go to this school. And it had always been my dream. And even then I, I didn't get as deterred as much, right? I still wanted that. I still believed in myself to do that, but it was a battle <laughs> 
between me and my family um, that whole senior year. I had some that were open to me going to Nebraska. I had some that were totally against and rightfully so because I had full rides other places like to a parent you're like why would you turn down free college money and go somewhere where they're not going to offer you money and you're, you're you might not be the best one so mm-hmm. it was a it was a very trying year in that um aspect but i ended up fought tooth and nail to the very end i had to actually call a college and, and and back out it was one of the hardest conversations i've had to have in my life as a 17 year old to tell them you know 2 weeks before school started i was going to not go there and, and go to nebraska instead got to Nebraska. I I finally like fought my way there. I was feeling good. And I, uh, dislocated my shoulder immediately. So literally threw it out and lifting the bar and had to sit out the entire year because of surgery. And that was one of those moments where I was just like, Oh shit. Like, what have I done? Because I just took a chance here. I, I promised that I would do well. I'd prove myself. And I almost immediately knocked myself out of the running. And that was probably one of the hardest times in my life. I um, I was self-sabotaging truthfully, like that. I was the definition of self-sabotage. I was having the true college experience. I was going out, I was having fun. I was partying. I didn't have to practice. So I had no discipline behind me or anybody, um, really like punishing me for, for doing that. And, um, truthfully almost failed out of college. Like I just didn't go to school and thinking about it now, like it, I had no, I've never had issues with grades in my life. I think I was talking about self-sabotage a little bit. It's almost like subconsciously, I was doing that to prove like, see, you were not worthy of going here, right? It's almost like if I do these things unconsciously and fail out of school, then I don't have to face the fact that I would have never, you know, competed or done well at University of Nebraska. So it was a really tough year. Had a come to Jesus moment with my coaches, my dad, my dad was very disappointed. I I think, I don't think he'll ever be as disappointed again. And, uh, but it was, it was a very, it was a strong learning year for me. Um, and it really whipped me into shape. And I, there was just a moment once I was back practicing, I worked my ass off. I competed with girls better than me. I showed up every day. I got my grades up. I put in the hard work. I was resilient. I was disciplined. And eventually over time, I worked myself up to being, as you mentioned, a big 10 champion, earned my full ride scholarship, uh, my second year in went to nationals and just continued to excel from there. So that all being said, like, it's crazy, like a 17, 18 year old going through that. I don't think I realized the full capacity and gravity of the situation until even now. And I'm like, wow, like that was a lot. But just like looking back on it, I think it actually helped teach me a lot of things like, you know, the resilience and the hard work and showing up even when everything is going against you, right? All of what were pretty much failures in my eyes at the time, but still having that belief in myself, um, that steadfast belief always being there, even when I was doubting myself and and being able to push through that and eventually succeed. So today I just, I always anchor back to that, especially when I feel like I'm tripping up and failing. Like I know that I can do things that seem unachievable and that everyone else in the world doesn't think that you can do, but as long as you know, you can, and you keep showing up even through the tough times, I think it eventually shows that you can do it. So that was really long-winded, but that's that's about the gist of it. There's a, a lot to unpack, unpack there. <laughs> but I got to say, triple jump is one of the hardest. I don't know how you did it, but it's just one of the hardest eye coordination things that I've ever tried. It was so difficult, but so kudos to you for for doing it and becoming a champion it because that's, that's a hard sport. But yeah. I wanted to, to ask around the lessons that you learned, like the lessons that you learned from your time as an athlete and going through that that crazy journey, 
what precisely did you take? You talked about some of it, but what precisely did you take away that you really use in your everyday now? What are the three main lessons that you took away that you use on your, you know, everyday uh, in your job and in sales now? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And actually one of the, the ones that sticks out the most is I think when people think of athletes, they think of winning and they think of success and they think of competing, right? Like those are the words that pop up. But when in reality, you lose way more than you win as an athlete. And that's the same for sales, right? Like those two correlate so well. And I, it's funny, it makes sense how I came into sales and how I've been able to like be resilient through it all is because you, the wins are celebrated and people always see the wins, but they're not seeing behind the scenes, like the practices, like practices of cold calls, practices of triple jumps, right? Like showing up every day and working with people better than you, practicing with people better than you to get better, um, that competitive spirit, right? Like all of those things kind of go together. And I, I just, I really learned that not only is losing and failure inevitable, but it's also an extremely rewarding process um, because the more you do go through those and the more you push through that, the more satisfying it is. It's like the law of polarity, right? You can't have one without the other. If you weren't losing, how would you ever appreciate the success? Right. So right. I think that for sure is a main thing that, that sticks out for me when I think of like the correlation. Another thing is truthfully discipline. I think athletes and correct me if I'm wrong. I know you, you competed is, is that's one of the easiest way to, to learn discipline because you have to show up even when you don't want to, because your coach is like, you better get your ass to practice. Right. Yeah. So I, I still, I mean, today I'm, I'm probably better than most self-disciplined, but man, it, you know, it's easy to skip a workout in the morning now when nobody's like there to, to tell you. So that's why having mentors and coaches in the sales world is so important because they kind of can kick your ass and tell you, you know, you'll be here, do this. So I see the correlation there between discipline because in sales, same thing, like you got to show up half your salary is dependent on you showing up and staying disciplined. So, um, that's another one. And then I would say, I mean, if we're getting like real, <laughs> real, woo, yeah. real woo, I would say for sure, like visualization, just really embodying and visualizing and energetically matching who you want to be before you're there. Right. So for example, in like triple jump or any sport, I would show up to practice embodying that I was already jumping at the level I wanted to. I, mean, I was pretending I was a big 10 champion long before I was a big 10 champion. Not only was I pretending I was visualizing, I was operating from that mindset. What would she do? Would she do that extra rep? Like how would she carry herself? X, Y, Z. I was starting to embody who that person was before I was that person. Same thing with sales, same thing with life, right? Like that's how you start shifting your reality and achieving the things because you have to energetically match what you're essentially going after. And that's how you make the small progress too. Like we all think that one day, like a big thing happens when in reality, it's a lot of micro shifts beforehand. So those micro shifts being like, when I wake up today, I want to operate as the best sales rep on my team. Well, what would the best sales rep on the team do? Right? Like little things like that, make this many calls, this many outreaches, this many demos. So it's like that, that stuff where you're like visualizing your body and that I would say that is correlated, not just in sports and sales, but really in life. So, yeah, that's, that's a great one. And I want to, you know, I want to talk about it more because some people see that stuff as woo, like visualization, manifestation, affirmations. And I want to know how you're weaving all of that into your life and you, what your general you know, perspective is on it when, when executing your day-to-day -day and, and getting to work as a sales professional. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the misconception with manifestation and like the visualization piece of that is people think like, Oh, I'm going to sit on my ass and I'm going to manifest this. And this is what I want. It's just going to show up at my door. And it's like, no, that there, there's an art to it, right? There's the co-creative process. There's, I always say there's, um, an idea is created twice. So it's like first in your mind, then in reality. So you have to kind of know what you're going for. You have to know that, but it's not just a matter of like, I wish this to be, and it will be, there's a lot of actual, like work internally that I don't think people understand or realize that needs to make that happen because our subconscious mind has been sucking in things since we were young, 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 right? Like we've been, some of us completely unconscious to our subconscious mind and what we've been taking in to support our limiting beliefs, if you will. So you have to almost un, like do the inner work of rewiring your belief system of what you believe is possible or not. Because if you truthfully don't deep down believe something to be true, the likelihood of that happening is, is low. And that's why I kept going back to like that belief in myself in track. Like if I didn't have that, I never would have won. I guarantee it, especially with everything I went through. So with manifestation, it's like doing a lot of inner work and I don't want to get too into the weeds of this, but it's doing a lot of inner work. I do. I definitely do. I want to, I want to, I want to know the ins and outs because I think that's when it's going to be definitely probably the most impactful. So whatever strategies and techniques that you use, we'd love to hear them and and we can share them on here. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of it is like, if you're going to get in and rewire, it does take a lot of work and being present. And people are like, being present is not work. It absolutely is work. Like you're having to take your life and really monitor your thoughts as they come up. And it doesn't happen all day for me. I'm not going to pretend like I'm able to do it, but like catching those critical thoughts and also catching those good thoughts. Like, I think we, we need to focus on both of them equally. And when we see those good thoughts, like really like encourage them when they come through and be like, yeah, you know what? I am good sales rep, right? Like reminding yourself of that. And then when those critical thoughts come up, like not necessarily getting angry at them or being frustrated, but like almost monitoring them and being like, where did that come from? Right? Like, why did that just pop in my head? And if you kind of like dig back the layers to where that thought originated, you can very quickly rewire it. And then maybe prove to yourself another time in your past that you've proved that thought wrong. Right? So you're just, you're changing your beliefs and you're wiring through, through your, your mental capacity. But then also um, I talked a little bit about like there's a co-creative process, right? So like you're thinking about what you want, you're visualizing what you want. Hopefully your beliefs match that, right? I believe I can do this. I know I can do this because I I believe in myself. I believe, and I've seen it in other people, but then there's the co-creative process of like taking action to get that. So when I say take action, we need to take action to get anything, but um, there's a process of wanting to let go a little bit, right? So it's like, we always think we know how to get where we want. And while we have people to go off of, like we can see their paths and follow their journey. Is it ever the same as theirs? Absolutely not. The timing's different. A step might be off. Those are good guidelines. It's kind of like a GPS. All you need to know is where you're at now and the location you want to go. After that, the GPS will tell you where to go. And I call that like life, like life, your intuition, things will pop up opportunities. It's kind of nudging you the opportunities that pop up and whether you take it or not. Right. Somebody, you asked me to go on a podcast. I could have said yes or no. In that moment, I said, yes, because that was conducive to where I want to go in the future. Right. So those things like being aware of that. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of, if you're ready for it and you believe in yourself, like it's very interesting how life conspires for you and things pop up out of nowhere. You just have to be that energetic match. And you also just have to be very aware of when those things are popping up. So, yeah, it's like this thing where like, let's say 
you're thinking about yellow taxis, all of a sudden you're going to see a lot more yellow taxis. So when you create that exercise where you're visualizing something, you all of a sudden see all of these opportunities before that you didn't prior because now you have a very sort of clear goal in mind like i've i've done a lot of deep study on this stuff as well and you know another one of the the key pieces that you talked about a little bit there is that our thoughts are really just that they're they're only thoughts it's up to us to be able to distinguish what's a thought and what's actually real because I might have thoughts pop up that are self-deprecating and, you know, self-limiting, but if I can step away from that and you know, I, I've sort of adopted a regular meditation practice, now I can say, okay, you know, I, I hear that, but that's just a thought. It's not what's real. And I, and I genuinely be, believe that, you know, people can really brainwash themselves to success because if you can instill yourself with the right beliefs, actions naturally start following uh, as a result. Absolutely. Thoughts only become, have meaning behind it when you give it meaning, right? So you get to choose what thoughts you give meaning behind and your perception is your reality. Exactly what, what you said. Like our brains cannot process everything that we see every day, but if it's on an unconscious, it's going to find exactly what supports your belief system at the time. That's why, like, if you believe you're not a good sales rep, you're going to find every reason in the world that day, why you're not a good sales rep. Your brain will actively seek, seek for reasons to support that where the same thing, if you tell yourself you're great, you're going to find all the reasons to do that. And that's why I like actively searched for, for gratitude in my day. I, I, at the end of each day, I have 10 things on my phone. Um, the littlest of things that I literally go around and, and seek for in my day, because it gets me in the mindset of looking for the good rather than getting sucked up in the bad. Right. So I know at the end of each day, I need to have 10 things in that specific day that happened that, that I'm grateful for. And that just like keeps you on high alert and kind of shifts your mindset unconsciously a little bit. That's a really good strategy. I love that. You talked previously about how you used to put a crazy amount of pressure on yourself. And when you would lose, like it would be very impactful and you'd, you'd, you'd start crying and things like that. How have you evolved from the person that you were then to the person you are now? And do you still face that sort of self-sabotage from time to time in sales? Because I know it's, it's really easy to self-sabotage in this, in this, uh, in this job. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I, let me preference this. I, I still have my days. I cried, I think like three weeks ago on a call with my mentor, cause I was going through these issues. Like we're human, it's going to happen and it's normal. But I think what really shifted for me is like, I, a lot of it was, you know, when you're young when you're 17, you know, you, you're still kind of experiencing the world and, and your, your world is like this. And then right. as you grow, your world expands and like your experiences. So a lot of that, I think is just age overall, but I think it really shifted the moment that I embraced failure and I was no longer scared of failure. And I learned that I will learn more from failure than I will from success. Success feels better. Sure but I'm going to be able to, to learn more in the failures because the failures force you to kind of take a look at what you did and, and adjust and change and, you know, pick what you do differently where sometimes we succeed. We don't self-review like that. We just keep trucking right. along. And right. it's like your success though, like a success could be a very small success. And if you could be operating at this, like mediocre level that's considered success because you never, you know, self-evaluate or look back. So I think that moment is when I, I embraced that to your point in what you said, I think we all as humans struggle with, you know, validation, validation, not only from others, but from ourselves. And in a, in a career like sales, it's extremely tough because your worth 
can be tied into the dollar amount that you produce on a quarterly basis. And, you know, when you're in that world and you're feeling the pressure on yourself and you're feeling the pressure from the company wide, like, I think, I think you and I might've talked about this, but it's like, we feed the people at the company, right? Like we yeah. like sales is what, what makes the company sales go. Is the lifeblood of, of any organization. A hundred percent. the core, I would say. Yeah. So, so you can really start tripping out when you get into that. But like, I've just learned that like controlling what you can control at the end of the day, when I'm 80 years old, like, is this big deal going to matter? But sure. I might look back and be like, yeah, that was awesome. But like at the end of the day, that's not what matters in life. Like life is mm-hmm. what you, your experiences with people, the people you meet, how you grow, how you learn. So kind of taking that pressure off has helped. And um, I by no means want to preach like that. I know all, because trust me, I, I deal with it still as much, uh, not as much as I did, but I still, I still have my moments, mm-hmm. but I think the difference now is even when I'm having the moment, I have the awareness that this, it's okay. Right. Like I'm not like, it's like m- mentally, I know that it's not that big of a deal, but sometimes you just got to let your emotions out. You, it's healthy to feel like that. Otherwise you're just bottling it up and then that's no good for you. You'll explode at some point. So, yeah, yeah, I definitely believe that. Like you've got to be sort of very in tune with your emotions and bottling it up is never going to help. Like that's why, like, as you mentioned, having important mentors, coaches, managers in place is, is crucial to that. Cause you want people on your team that you can sort of ride together with and having that, that team in place is super, super crucial. Um, so I, I totally get that perspective as well. How do you feel that you've adjusted if you have it all, like in comparison to early sales days to now? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, the reason, one of the big reasons that I wanted to make the transition over was the competition. Like I love the competition of sports, but the main thing, and you touched on this earlier again, was that, you know, what are you doing when no one's watching? And that was like a transition that was a little bit tricky because I, I always like getting recognized and I always like getting rewarded. But ultimately, you got to put some some work in the lab on your own. Like, am I doing the the reading, the learning outside of work? Like I spent 10 years playing basketball, soccer, volleyball, like the other sports that I did. And then you jump into sales and all of a sudden you have to to do all, all this learning to do, right? And so I think taking the time to to double down on the skills and manage them and having this learner's mindset was very important. Putting myself in sort of like beginner's mindset, uh, sort of sort of frame of mind. And that's definitely how that transition has taken place over time and made me a better sales rep over time, I'd say. Yeah, because I mean, perfection truly doesn't exist. It's subjective to each individual person. Like what is perfect? My perfect is different from your perfect. And I think understanding mm-hmm. that helps you better. Like you said, that's why in yoga, they just call it a practice. Like you, it's a yoga practice. You're just showing up to practice and it kind of takes that pressure off. So it's like, if you can think of that every day in your life, like what is success? Cause no matter what your success is, there's somebody who's done a, you know, a higher level success or done more. So it's like, we get in this warp of like, what is perfect? What is failure? So I just like to eliminate both failure and perfect out of my vocabulary. And that's been truthfully incredible. I like, if I catch myself, say it, I immediately like fall back on it and be like, I wish I didn't say that because I don't mean it. So yeah, absolutely. One of my, uh, one of my favorite poems of all time, I learned at grant one, it's good, better, best, never let it rest until your good is better and your better, better is best. There's no sign of perfect in there and best may be a, a resemblance, but you, it's basically proving that you can always be, be better. So, you know, that's sort of the, the mission always. And I think it's very important, especially in a profession like sales to have that beginner's mindset and remove ego and ego. I know is, a big part of 
what plays into sports, what plays into sales. And I'd love to know how you manage your ego, how you think about ego and the importance of sort of the ego, ego-less mindset uh, in this world. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another thing that I recently learned. I think we've gone our whole lives like demonizing the ego, like the ego is bad. The ego does all these things. It makes us feel all these negative feelings and, and it absolutely does. But I, I have learned now that it's normal and it's there. And we, it's almost like we need to honor it in a sense, because it's like, like I said, the pola- the polarity, like there's always going to be, there's a, there's a light side of us and there's a shadow side of us. And the shadow side of us is that ego that has all those like negative, like jealousy, envy, all those feelings that we demonize, but we need those in some capacity, right. To be able to understand and appreciate the other, the opposite side of that emotion, if you will. So, mm-hmm. and this is something that I, I had learned where if we acknowledge the ego, it's likely to go away rather than pushing it down. Right. So so when I was talking about when negative thoughts come up, the critical thoughts or thoughts of like doubt or, or regret or all those things, that's generally coming from the ego spot, right? Like critical talk is ego. And it's trying to convince you to, to not do things, stay in your comfort zone, X, Y, Z. And I learned, I can't remember who I'd learned it from, but she had said, anytime something like that pops up, she just says, thank you for sharing and just goes back to normal. And it kind of like disarms it a little bit, kind of makes it funny in a way like, Oh, thank you for your feedback. Right. Like, and it kind of just falls away after that. Cause now you are kind of disarming it. You're also kind of laughing at yourself for even thinking such a wild thought, you know? So the ego main goal is to protect us. And we still need it in a lot of areas. It's why we don't walk out in front of oncoming traffic. The ego prevents us from doing that because it's like, don't do that dumbass. Like (laughs) there's, there's a car coming, but the ego still thinks we're living in like the caveman days where like anything perceived outside of our comfort zone will kill us. So that's why anytime we feel like fear or that we're not good enough or like limiting beliefs, that is all the ego trying to protect us from doing something that it doesn't know, or it's unknown or feels comfortable. So we need the ego in a lot of ways, but we also need to understand that. Yeah. Like we need to acknowledge it, but also, you know, kind of move aside from it. And and I keep going back to this. The only way that we're going to be able to truly distinguish is if you just take the time to like monitor those thoughts and I, and, and take some time to like, think about what am I actually thinking on a day-to-day basis? Like, what do I need to rewire? And people don't want to hear it, but like mindless scrolling is never going to allow you to take the time to do that. So like we're busy all day working. We're busy doing X, Y, Z. But like, if you can, even if it's just 10 minutes, like you said, Tambir, like in the morning, like taking a second to just monitor your thoughts, it's not meditation is not supposed to be blank thinking. It's just supposed to you to kind of like acknowledge and and witness what's going on in your mind and maybe what you need to change and restructure. So. Yeah. This is one of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to mindfulness and meditation is that people think it's about not thinking anything. It's Mm -hmm. almost like the complete opposite. It's like accepting the thoughts that you're getting sort of sitting in it for a little bit and then letting it pass Um, because you need to acknowledge all these things. We have a million thoughts a day, billions probably. And now even more so than ever before, because of all this mindless scrolling that we're doing, right? We have so much inputs and it's harder, harder and harder to retain more of that information. So we might go through any given day having, you know, millions upon millions of thoughts circling through our heads without taking the time to acknowledge them and address them and find out, okay, is this serving me? Is this not serving me? Do I keep this? Do I get rid of this? What do I do here? And I'd love to know for you, you personally, like, how do you deal with those thoughts? Like, do you have sort of a a framework? Do you have a strategy, a a habit that you use to to manage all these emotions and thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think whatever works best for people, like I would say experiment, but these are the things that work for me, or I, I tend to always fall back to. So 
I journal. Um, I don't journal every day. I journal every week. And some of it's just for me to write what happened because I'm like nostalgic and I like to look back and be like, oh, what was I doing on this day in 2017? And it's kind of mm-hmm. a way to like remember the memories, right? So yeah. I do it for that reason, but I also do it because it helps me process things I'm going through, right? Like when you have the blank space to write out, it's almost like your thoughts are um, actually out in the world on paper and you can take a bird's eye view of like, am I like, is this really what I'm thinking? Is this what I'm feeling? And, and it allows you to acknowledge those feelings and thoughts that you're having. So a lot of ways to like change that. So one of that might be truthfully like a meditation or an affirmation on YouTube, like a free search. Anybody can do it. 10, 10, five minutes, 15 minutes, whatever that might be. But I am very future minded. And I say that as we're talking about being present, like I, I, tr- I be as present as I can. I understand presence, but I still am always like, I get excited in about the future. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, something that kind of helps me is like scripting out, like I'll do this every couple months sometimes. Cause I need to, like, I'll kind of feel like I lost my way. These negative feelings and doubts are like telling me to be lazy, you know, telling me that I'm not going to succeed all these things. And, and you kind of, that's how you kind of start going back without even realizing it unconsciously, you go back to living your, your day-to-day life that you were trying to change because these thoughts that you aren't aware of are in your head whispering and, and preventing you from taking action. That's why new year's resolutions end, you know, three months in or two months in. Yeah. So for me, I like to kind of go back to the drawing board And I journal, I actually script out, and this is a great manifestation technique as well. Visualization technique is like literally describe to the very like T what your ideal life, where you want to be five years from now, like go from start to finish. Who are you dating, married to? Where are you living? What does your house look like? What is your job? How much money are you making? How do you treat people? What kind of clothes do you wear? Like you just basically paint the picture, create your life five years from now. I always say five years because it's far enough away where it's believable. Anything's achievable, right? So dream mm-hmm. big. And it kind of reminds me of what I ultimately want to be. And it can allow me to compare to how I'm being now. And I keep, I talked earlier about embodying. It reminds me to embody this five years version of myself. And it kind of allows me to get back to being excited, which then creates the, the, the words in my head of being like, you got this, you can do this, right? Like, those are, that's what I do specifically. Um, but I think there's a ton of ways that people can do that. And, and honestly, it just starts with like monitoring. I'm talking to people that are positive. I can't tell you how like expanding my circle of like positive people who like relate to me on this has, has helped me so much. Cause you can feel alone if you don't feel like you have a circle of people and it doesn't need to be your close family and friends. Truthfully, I, my sister-in-law loves this stuff and talks to, to me about it, but I don't have a lot of like close friends that, that really, get it on this level, but like meeting people like you, Tambir and people on LinkedIn that I've gotten to talk to, like that just helps motivate me too. So if you can expand your circle, um, I suggest that because man, belief in yourself is most important, but when you have others that believe in you, that is a powerful, powerful combo. So, yeah, I, I'm completely on board with you with that. I, I could say the exact same thing in the sense that, you know, this is one of those jobs with jobs where it can feel very lonely at times mm-hmm. and having the right circle circle. Like sometimes, you know, I've got a lot of great friends, but not everyone understands sort of the position I'm in or the day, the day to day, what it looks like. And it's a challenging role where if you don't have the right circle around you, it can get very, very tough, very, very quickly. But like you too, one of my, I meditate regularly because one of my greatest weaknesses is the fact that I always tend to think about the future. Like Mm -hmm. always it's on my mind almost every single day. I'm like, all right, well, what's the next thing? What do I do here? What do I do then? And what's going to happen? And what could happen five years now, three years from now, a year from now. And it's, it's a mess. And 
I think what I've tried to do recently is still have that five-year goal, mm-hmm. break it down into the daily goal, the daily habit that I need to achieve that five-year goal, and then just focus on the habit. Like yes. just try and get the habit done because if the habit gets done, then I can spend the rest of my, my mind share focusing on the present and actually being grateful for things. Because if I'm thinking too much about the future, I'm not really as grateful as I think I am being about everything that's happening to me right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Another thing I do to kind of check in with those goals, as you were saying, is so it doesn't seem as, as big as you have like your maybe 10 to 12 yearly goals. You chunk that down to 10 monthly goals. You chunk that down to seven weekly goals. You chunk that down to three daily goals. So it's like you're making those little progress, those little habits, like you said. So you're your goal for the year could be, you know, I'm just going to use like calls. You wouldn't make that as a yearly goal, but like a yearly goal, I want to make 5,000 calls. Well, if you, you know, take that all the way down and chunk it to a daily goal, then, you know, what is that daily call amount? And it seems like more feasible and you're slowly chipping at away at it. You're developing the habit. So that's how I stay on track. Like rather than just setting 10 yearly goals and putting them aside and hoping they happen, you got to really chunk them down into smaller pieces, as you had said to make it more incremental and, and make it more feasible and you start seeing progress and you start getting more motivated. And then all of a sudden it's an unconscious habit. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we talked about comfort zone as well. You, your LinkedIn profile literally says comfort zone smasher on it. Uh, what are like three ways that you get out of your comfort zone every day and other people can use to, to get out of the comfort zone too? Yeah, man. I mean, the obvious answer is LinkedIn. I think it's a lot. It's funny. It's like, why is Instagram not intimidating? But for some reason, posting on LinkedIn is intimidating for people. It's it's yeah. like, it's it's an interesting concept. I, I always talk, I always see posts about people um, being really scared and uncomfortable to to post on LinkedIn. And I'll be the first to admit it. I still get like that. Like it's getting better. I can you know, tell you. Every- I can tell you what it is. I think it's I think it's imposter syndrome. One. Yes. Uh, I think it's you know the judgment that you might get. You get less of that probably on somewhere like Instagram. And you know, LinkedIn is supposed to be the professional, the B two B sort of type type ordeal. So you think you don't realize that there's other people on the other side of, of your post. It feels more businessy, um, yes. but you realize over time, like LinkedIn is such an amazing place to build a personal brand. I completely agree. And I, I've always maintained like, this isn't TikTok or Instagram while I love them. This is not like where a certain aesthetic is needed. Like you can be fully appreciated for your mind. Mm-hmm. And maybe now I just like realized this, as you just pointed that out, like maybe that's what scares people is like, they, they really feel like their mind isn't unique or powerful when in reality, like your mind is, is incredible. And like your individual unique perspective and experience is, is what makes you, you, but it's almost like we're scared to show that, which is why maybe it is tough for people to, to post on LinkedIn because people are like, I don't know what to post. I'm like, you have, we just had billions of thoughts running through your head all day. You can't find one thing to post. And it's like this, the ego is preventing you from maybe showing this side of you that can be vulnerable, just like you said, and right. then seeing your colleagues or people seeing like, I, I, I just like made that connection right now as we're talking. So that was one of my biggest fears was that I was worried about how my colleagues would judge me. And like, you know, I thinking that I was pretending to be a know-it-all. Um, but what you realize after time is that people are actually respect it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. they respect it more. And I've had a number of my colleagues reach out to me and say, oh, wow, this, this podcast was so valuable or this post that you made was, was incredibly insightful and so on and so forth. So half the time, you know, when we're thinking about how other people might judge us, most of them just don't care. You know, most of them don't 
don't we care, care about our much. own lives. Exactly. We do. I mean, exactly. it, it sounds selfish, but we do like at the end of the day, we might think for a second, Oh, Tamvir posted that whether yeah. or not they liked it or not. And then within seconds, they're going back to their own life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They don't, they don't think twice about it later on the day, but we tend to hold that stuff with us. So, you know, I think LinkedIn is a great way to get out of your comfort zone. What's, what are two other ways that, that you can sort of think of? Yeah, I would say definitely trying to do more in my day-to-day like experience, like things that are new, right. It doesn't even have to be anything big, like trying a new food even that I might not normally try, like just something that is different from your monotonous day to day. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be this incredible thing. Like technically that is smashing your comfort zone. If you're doing something that you're not used to doing on the daily, that's you stepping outside of your comfort zone. So even little things like that, like new experiences, trying to, you know, go to a new place, going somewhere alone, stuff like that. I try to do that. My, my average, but then, I mean, gosh, I mean, without it's the first one that comes to my mind, I'm sure I could think of more, but <laughs> sales is the ultimate comfort zone smashing career. Like every day you're getting rejected and you're asking people for money and you're picking up the phone, you know? So, I mean, that's the very obvious one, but truthfully, I think that's that sales is an incredibly hard role for some people. And even the people that are really good at it, because it is, it's a constant step out of your comfort zone. It gets easier it's not saying it's hard every time. Like that's why we do it with repetition, but it still doesn't make it like easy by any means. So, um, I think sales role in general, like if you're in sales, you are a comfort zone smasher. So, Oh, 1000% every single day. It's, it's become a lot easier, but that second before you make that cold call is like, just, you feel that, that hesitation, Mm -hmm. that, that little bit of discomfort, but then you're like, (laughs) screw it. I'm going to do it anyway. And you just, you go through. And I, I love that about sales, that it gives you the opportunity to get uncomfortable every single day, uh, almost is what it feels like. And, you know, I think for everybody, one thing to realize is that you're selling all the time, you know, you're selling your personal brand, you're selling what you want to eat for dinner that night. Uh, you know, you're selling so many things, um, first impressions, like everything. So, you know, finding ways to get, to get uncomfortable, uh, is always a great way to, to not only make you better at your career, but make you better at life. So I love that. I love that philosophy that you have. Anna, this has been great. I think it was a really fruitful conversation. Where can people find you, learn more about you and engage with you? Yeah. I mean, I'm just getting started on, on this LinkedIn journey, if you will. So, um, I would say right now where most of like the, the mindset and content will live on my LinkedIn page. So you can find me at Anna Wygant. I'm sure Tim Bear will link it somewhere. And I do a weekly insight video. I started doing it new this year. So every Wednesday, I just do a little three to five minute video about something I've learned from a book or something that, um, I got inspired by and kind of just communicate that to the masses. So, um, that's something fun I do, but other than that, I would it'd start there more than welcome to follow me on Instagram. You're not going to find anything fun besides my regular life, but, uh, yeah, that that's, that's about where you'll find me. So awesome. Awesome. Before <laughs> we wrap up for today, what's one last final piece of advice you would give to my listeners to help them achieve their next big win. That is a good question. And I think I'm just going to go back to to what I kind of preached from the beginning is that, you know, no one is going to believe in yourself as much as you, and you absolutely will have people to support you, but nobody's going to understand that desire in you. So if you could do anything, it's find the things that you truly want to do and steadfast believe in yourself, like find the ways to do the work to do it, rewire your beliefs keep that belief and keep that belief when you will fail because you will fail. So keep going through all that. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, if you continue to to push through and you still believe in yourself, 
your success is truly inevitable. So amazing. Anna, <laughs> thank you. It's been a pleasure having you on winning streaks. Uh, this is, I love the conversation again, and hopefully we can have this conversation again one day. So really appreciate yeah. you coming on to the show. I would love it. Thank you so much. Tim, here.